Our gospel lesson this morning comes from the gospel according to Luke, chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. Now, now large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, doesn't sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to wage war against another king will not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If he cannot, then while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So, therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. This is the word of God for the people of God. If you look at the notes app on my phone, you'll eventually come across a note that's just a long list of different ideas, quotes, and stories that I may eventually at some point use in a sermon or a Bible study. And on this list, you'll find a section with the heading, huh? That's H-U-H exclamation point question mark. Huh? This is where I write down all of my huh texts. And if you don't know what a huh text is, it's very simple. It's a passage of scripture that after you read it, you say, huh? They're the passages that make you wonder if some guy at the Bible publishing company got fired. And so as a last-ditch effort to get revenge on his employers, he put some random bizarre phrase or paragraph into a set of Bibles to be sold to unsuspecting people like you or me. Because these passages, they just don't seem to actually belong in the Bible. They're the ones that I read and I say the word of God for the people of God, and you don't say thanks be to God. You ask, thanks be to God? In short, they're the passages that are exactly like the one we just read. In fact, this has been on that huh list for quite a while now. For those of you who missed it, let's review some of the high points again, shall we? Jesus, and first of all, we should say, Jesus is saying this. This isn't like Jesus' intern who's trying his hand at preaching for the first time. He says some well-meaning things, but they come out all wrong. Jesus says, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself, cannot be my disciple. So, to follow Jesus, you're required to hate your parents, your spouse, your kids, and your siblings? And then... When Jesus says we need to even hate life itself, the word for life that he uses is literally the word soul. So you need to hate your family and your own soul? Not only that, but according to Jesus, if you don't, it's impossible to be his disciple. 
And then at the very end of the passage, I love this one. Jesus says, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. Could you imagine if before the offering... Pastor Kelly Lynn or I got up and rather than saying, as a forgiven and reconciled people, let us now offer ourselves and our gifts to God. We said, now, guys, remember what Jesus says. Unless you give up all your possessions, you cannot be his disciple. We'd either be left with an empty room, which I think is most likely, or a really awkward offering plate. With like Lee's car keys and Drew's left shoe, Kim's cell phone. How on earth do we begin to make sense of all of this? Because you have to think, certainly Jesus, what with his being Jesus and all, was familiar enough with scripture to know that it says to honor your parents and not hate them. It's one of the important ones, isn't it? And Jesus says, love your neighbor as you love yourself, which only works if we love ourselves and don't, as the passage commands, hate our own souls. And as far as giving up all of our possessions, earlier in this gospel, in the gospel of Luke, just a few chapters ago, we're told that one of Jesus' disciples named Joanna was wealthy. So did Jesus just change his mind about her and wealthy people like her? I think that what these contradictions show us is that before we go too much further, we probably need to get our language straight. We need to talk about that word hate, and we're going to talk about that word hate. But before we do that, there's another word that I think we need to address. Because notice, Jesus says three times in this passage that unless we do thus and such, we cannot be his disciple. So before we get to hate, I think we need to address what exactly it means to be someone's disciple, because that's what this passage really seems to hinge on. So what's a disciple? Well, a disciple was someone who followed a particular rabbi. The technical definition is one who is rather constantly associated with someone who has a pedagogical reputation or a particular set of views. I like that phrase, rather constantly, in that definition. Rather constantly affiliated with someone's views. It almost sounds exasperated, doesn't it? Because we all have that friend who is rather constantly affiliated with somebody's views. I have a relative that quotes Dr. Oz at least like 17 times in every conversation. I finally pointed it out to her, so now every time she goes to quote him, she says, I heard from somewhere... I can't remember where, and I always say, we know you're talking about Dr. Oz, it's fine. Rather constantly associated with someone's reputation or views. This definition, with its rather constantly, shows the level of excitement and consuming enthusiasm that a disciple would have for their rabbi. The goal for a disciple was to learn how their rabbi thought about everything. And why they thought what they thought. And what sort of process they used for arriving at these conclusions. And they would do this so that every time they found themselves in a confusing situation, the voice in their head would be the voice of their rabbi. The voice in their head would be the voice of their rabbi telling them how they were supposed to move forward or how to navigate that situation. Or at very least, it would be second nature to arrive at the rabbi's conclusions about the world. Now, 
Before we get back to the text, let's talk about that word hate, as promised. Hate in the Bible isn't necessarily a term of loathing. Instead, it's more of a term for preference or choice. So to get our heads around this, let's think about just how many choices it took you just to get here this morning. You chose, for example, to wear the black shoes and not the blue shoes. If you were using the word hate as it's often understood by the ancient Hebrews, you would say, I loved the black shoes and I hated the blue shoes. Now, this doesn't mean that you have some sort of deep-seated, rage-fueled loathing for the blue shoes, right? You like those shoes. You paid a lot of money for those shoes. It just means that today you chose the black shoes and not the blue shoes. You loved the black shoes, hated the blue shoes. Or you chose to drink coffee instead of tea this morning. If you were an ancient Hebrew, you would say that you loved coffee and hated tea. This doesn't mean that you opened your pantry and saw the tea sitting there and threw a fit because you just hate tea. You didn't open the cupboard and, ah, tea! Just means that this morning you chose coffee. You loved coffee, you hated tea. Or you might think of it this way. If I walk into Best Buy after the service is over to get a new phone, I'll be greeted by a very nice person in a blue shirt with a yellow name tag, and one of the first things that they'll ask me is, who is your carrier? If we were ancient Hebrews, with smartphones, apparently, bear with me, it's going somewhere. If we are ancient Hebrews with cell phones, I would say, I love AT&T. And I hate Verizon, Sprint, and T-Mobile. This doesn't mean that I have weird romantic feelings for AT&T that I should address with my therapist. I personally have no problem with Verizon, Sprint, or T-Mobile. AT&T was just my choice like 15 years ago, and I haven't really thought about it since then. So when we get back to the Bible, we find these passages that have God saying things like, there were two brothers named Jacob and Esau, and I loved Jacob, but I hated Esau. This doesn't mean that God has some sort of divine disgust for Esau. It means that Jacob received a blessing from his father that Esau didn't. We find other passages that use the same language, even in the psalm that we read this morning. Although I cut that part out because I didn't think it would be great to have you read something about hate before we got to the context. The psalm seems to encourage hating people with a perfect hatred. Now, it could be that the Bible is encouraging us to have animosity towards people, or it could just be asking where our loyalties ultimately lie. And then finally, we get back to Jesus, telling us to hate our parents and our kids and our siblings and our spouses, or else we can't be his disciples. Is Jesus telling us to detest everyone in our family? I don't think so. I think he's saying something else. So what is that something else? Well, it's that he wants us to be his disciples. He says that three times in this passage. He wants us to be his disciples. He wants us to be rather constantly associated with the kind of love and wonder and grace and forgiveness that he preaches. He wants us to have that kind of rabbi-disciple relationship that means that his merciful voice is the one that we hear in our minds when we don't know what to do. He wants us to see the world through his eyes, the eyes of the one who created and redeemed it. 
But here's the thing. He also knows that we can't do that when we're listening to other voices in our minds or we're living a different story. So we need to choose his voice and his story. So let me put it this way. If we keep giving preference to the voice that says you're a loser, we can't hear the voice of a loving rabbi that says you belong. Or if we keep giving preference to the voice that says you'll never be good enough, we can't hear the voice of a loving rabbi that says good enough? This isn't about earning your place. It never has been. You're already enough. Or if that voice of a former friend or loved one is still echoing, I hate you, in your mind, you can't hear the voice of a loving rabbi saying, I love you. If the story you're living into is one of someone who is told what you did is unforgivable, you can't live the story of the rabbi telling you, I forgave you even before you knew you were going to do that. If you're giving preference to the voice that says it's never going to get any better, you can't hear the rabbi telling you it's going to be okay. So when Jesus is giving us a list of people to hate, what he's saying in that ancient Hebrew way, since he is an ancient Hebrew after all, what he's saying is you can choose better voices to rather constantly listen to. You can choose a better story about yourself to be rather constantly affiliated with. Now look, I don't know everything that your mother, father, siblings, spouse, or kids have said to you. I don't know that about you. And more than that, I don't know what your nickname was in middle school. I don't know what your teachers or religious leaders growing up taught you about yourself. I don't know what voices have shaped you. They may have all been beautiful, affirming, life-giving things, but I'm guessing that's not the case for everyone here. Actually, I'm guessing that's not the case for anyone here. (laughs) I'm going to venture a guess that you have been told something about yourself that was hurtful or damaging, and it's still rather constantly echoing around somewhere. And I'm going to guess even further that that voice and that message has led us to make some bad decisions or live carrying around some shame or regret. It may have stifled us and kept us from doing things because we were told that we weren't good enough for them. Jesus tells you you have a choice. You don't have to choose that message. Even if that message came from someone who seemed incredibly important and significant at the time, you can choose a different one to be rather constantly affiliated with. So... What would happen? What would happen if you listened to a different rabbi? What would happen if you listened to a different voice, rather constantly? One that said, I love you. You belong. Don't be afraid. I'll never leave you. Nothing will ever separate you from the love I have for you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. I'll always forgive you. You're going to be okay. Amen.